subscribe to Simply Bitcoin. All right. Welcome, everybody. Welcome into another episode of the Meme Factory podcast. This is test stream number 27. We will never have a real stream. Only test. Subscribe. Until we get this right. Uh, this evening, we've got Eric Kaysen with us. Eric, could you introduce yourself? Let everybody know who you are. Hello, my name is Eric Kaysen, and I'm a Bitcoiner. I have a website called Crypto Sovereignty, which don't let the title mislead you, uh, which is pretty much all about Bitcoin and how Bitcoin enables you to have personal sovereignty for yourself. Uh, I'm more interested in the philosophical aspects, so uh, unless you don't like reading you, you probably shouldn't visit my website but anyways lots of really great philosophical content there if you're interested in it um yeah and otherwise i just kind of drift around and promote bitcoin because it's the only hard asset that isn't going to get absolutely hammer fucked out of you so you should have bitcoin and if you don't you're in trouble <laughs> awesome craig we cannot hear you there we go what i got out of that was that uh, you're a drifter is that right Okay. A drifter? Yeah. Yeah. That's, a, that's exactly it. Excellent. Excellent. So uh, I know you haven't seen the show before. Maybe you've seen one or two episodes. Uh, part of how we are able to fund this endeavor is that uh, our sponsors require us to have the guests read the ad copy. So this evening, uh, if you'll check your DMs, Eric, I've sent you the ad copy for tonight. If you could, at your convenience, go ahead and read that. I'm excited to show this to y'all. Hi, my name's Eric Kaysen, and people don't read. This episode of the Mean Factory podcast is brought to you by the hardworking men and women at the Social Contract LLC and their famous product, Violence. Does it upset you that somebody else has bodily autonomy? Want to do what you like to with them without them having any say about it? Do you have neighbors that won't get off your lawn? Does your boss drive a nicer car than you? Well, the Social Contract LLC has been using this one nifty trick. Sovereign individuals hate it. It's called Violence. Arm yourself with a bigger stick than the guy over there and go project your power all up in his face. With violence, you, you can cut through all of the red tape and silence your dissenters permanently. The best part about violence is it's a zero-sum game. The more violence you use, the better your life becomes. Use violence on one person, you might go to jail. But use violence on billions of people, and now you can collect money from them and call it protection. Remember, violence is not the answer. It's the question. Violence? The answer is a resounding yes. Hey, hey well done, Eric. <laughs> Meanwhile, Son has like the face of like, how I'm gonna edit this for the guy. <laughs> <laughs> like last time, last time the guy like edited. Uh, um, what, what, what was the ad? It was for, for Des it was for Desiree Dickerson, Desiree. right? De yeah, Desiree. You about even the upload it. Suicide and Epstein, like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, we're, now, now we're gonna get banned on this episode. We tried everything. <laughs> Twitter. We'll fix it in post. Tweeted. Yeah, it couldn't be tweeted. No, yeah. not at all. It was a pain. All right. <laughs> so, I'm excited to see what the product pitch looks like at the end. It'll, nice. it'll look fantastic. You did a wonderful job. I'll have some for you next week. Yeah. Like, uh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, we, I think we got fifty dollars for that one. It was good. Um, nice. Now, the impetus for this conversation this evening was you said something that made absolutely no sense to me. Uh, 
Yeah, like impetus. It's okay. impetus. Highlighting, yeah. highlighting the question. <laughs> what do you, what do you mean? Our language that, is failing that, us. That's where you can't get your penis hard. You know. Oh <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sean takes those pills for that. Uh, yeah, I think the tweet was about language failing. I can't remember the exact tweet, but uh, you know, the fact that this is the meme factory is actually kind of perfect. So. So essentially part of my philosophy is like the world that we're descending into is a product of like nobody can actually speak truth anymore uh which is kind of funny and that's one of the things that makes memes so powerful is that they can actually portray truth that like can't be said succinctly or or in in ways that are easily understandable in a way that a meme actually can uh but like a great example is like you know the kind of bullshit that comes from the fed about like oh you know like inflation is temporary like we you know we can't help it and you know it's gonna go down eventually but it never does and it's uh it's really kind of this product that's happened as a breakdown you know uh i think it really all initiated at the end of world war ii just because of uh how powerful statism was and the amount of violence that they implemented after that and uh essentially like the idea of what legalism is shipwrecked itself on the catastrophe that was world war ii and afterwards, we've just been kind of getting a series of various lies that we have to live through. And now it's starting to amp itself way, way up. And, and, and particularly with the internet and how it's throwing a wrench into the gears of everything of that, it's becoming much, much, much harder to actually discern what is truth. And part of the reason is, is because we have so many different things coming at us, so many different people lying to us constantly that now it's almost hard for us to even find a bearing point of it. Um, and I think what inspired the tweet was uh, in 2017, I got an opportunity to meet Neil Stevenson at a book signing. And he was like taking questions from the audience. And I, and I got a chance to ask him a question. I was like, oh, like what, what really like scares you like 10 years out into the future, you like wake up, like what's the thing that you're like terrified of? And he was like, oh, that like we live in a post-truth future. And he was like, what I mean by this is that like, there's no discernible way to actually tell what's true anymore because there's just so much disinformation and misinformation that there's no way to get a bearing on it. And so we essentially move back into the Middle Ages where we just have to take any authoritarian decree as being truth. But it's funny because at the time I was like, that seems a little far-fetched. Like, how would we ever get to a world like that? Well, lo and behold, like, here we fucking are, so. Didn't take that long. <laughs> yeah. Do you think uh, that had something to do with uh, so-called capitalism? nowadays neo-capitalism however you want to call it uh becoming what it it has have become like like basically servicing emotions like they don't want to offend nobody so it has to do with that or it's yeah, that, something like, that's else a, that's a component of it and even the word, word capitalism like i i think all of the isms like capitalism democracy or yeah, capitalism quotations anarchism yeah, quotations. yeah, yeah. yeah like we can't even find the the roots of these words because they've been so thoroughly abused in so many mm -hmm. different contexts. And then we like layer on top like wokeism, where like wokeism is this thing where, you know, we we really like you were saying, like we don't want to engage in making people feel bad in any way. Exactly. So like we would much rather contort words and lies in such a way that comfort. Yeah. And like even uh you know, like the, like one I love is the idea of gun violence and like how people get so up in arms about like, you, like people owning guns, they like kill other people. And this is like so horrible and wrong. And it's like, 
before we can even have this conversation, like, why don't we talk about brown people being bombed out of existence by fucking drones by a bunch of fat slobs that are sitting in an air conditioned station in Arizona? Like, is that violence? You know, yeah. they're like, what? What do you mean? You know, and, and it's all of this manipulation that that, in my opinion, what it comes down to is about having comforting lies over hard truths and essentially like we've spent 20 years going down that road so now we have an entire generation of people that are part mm -hmm. of this woke culture that's so removed from any logical imperatives that it it doesn't matter about that because we're in a post-structuralist system where, like we can just kind of make up whatever we want to be true and force it down everybody's throat in such a way that uh i think it was even like at the beginning of 2020, people were saying shit like two plus two equals five because like math is actually <laughs> this like white supremacist Racist, thing yeah. Yeah. that's like forced on people. Yeah, yeah, and like while there are tiny threads of truth in all these things, they're so contorted and misaligned and fucked up that like people are actually saying shit like two plus two equals five and here's why. Or that like yeah. in the long run, war actually makes us safer and is a form of peace. And it's like this is all just so fucking bananas that, uh, you, you know, when, when people try to talk about anything that's a promise or a truth, they can't even anchor themselves into it in any meaningful way. And it so, kind of fucks up everything. So what is it about the language that's failing us that is leading to this situation where we, we can't have these easy, hard, hard truths and we're preferring? We can, we can even come up with... a a lie that's a, a convenient lie versus a hard Be, truth before you answer that i feel like uh i don't know if you can guys feel that too like they used to be when i was a young like i did something that i soon have done and like my father slapped slapped me like i i, I immediately understood that the thing i was uh, ab uh about to do like was wrong and there was like a moment okay i I understand about that thing that 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 thing is wrong this is right right but now everything like everything is treated like in a spectrum like there's not right and wrong like uh, everything is like about opinions and like that multi-opinion thing like getting uh, it, it it makes people crazy in the end like that multiple of opinions everywhere like i don't know it's yeah well it, it makes me think about like lately you hear this phrase like as long as they're not hurting one anyone it's okay and it makes me wonder if that's actually not true right like the phrase like as long as they're not hurting anyone because what if someone is telling a lie and you don't think it's hurting anyone else but it really is you just don't see it the effects of it right now you know i think that's something too that i've been thinking about lately as you know as we're talking about what's true and what's not true well, I think it's all about like both these contortions of what's truth and then there's like no accountability towards what's being said. And so like people can say shit that's false and not be held accountable. And then there's this chain reaction of uh, I'm trying to think that like, there, there was a study done where essentially like they put a bunch of monkeys in a cage. They put bananas at the other end of the cage. And anytime one monkey would try to go get the bananas, they would punish that monkey and they would teach the other monkeys to punish any monkeys that like tried to go get the bananas. And what they found out was essentially like as you would rotate out new generations of monkeys, eventually they would learn that like anybody who tries to get the banana attacked them. And they didn't have any reason for it. They actually stopped uh, enforcing the punishment on the monkeys because they were now self-enforcing. And so 
it eventually gets to a place where the, there's no humans trying to enforce anything. And these monkeys are literally starving to death in the cage. And any monkey that goes to try to get the bananas will be attacked violently by the other monkeys. And in my opinion, this is sort of generationally where we're at right now, where someone says something untrue, people try to correct it, they all get attacked at the same time. And people essentially learn, like, eh, if I'm going to speak truth to power about something here, I'm going to get attacked in a very vicious and hurtful way. And it's probably a lot better for me just to, like, let that lie move forward with itself. And all of this stuff starts to build up over time in such a way that, uh, like, now we just exist in a world full of fucking lies, and it's so hard to even get a basis of truth that most people don't know what's going on. And again, and this is one of the reasons why Bitcoin is so important, because the first time we've had a monetary system that isn't just chock full of fucking lies and manipulations and contortions and half-truths, and not to say that you can't make those things go on with Bitcoin, but by having that final truth that is Bitcoin's time chain and being able to check it against stuff, I can be like, oh, check it out. Like, there really actually only is 21 million Bitcoins that can ever exist. I can check what blo the block height is and know the exact number of Bitcoins going in. And the, the irony is because we're so deep in this world where language is failing and everybody fucking lies about everything and steals from everyone. And it's frankly nihilistic. That's the one of the key reasons why Bitcoin is so powerful is that just by maintaining that fundamental truth, it's able to become one of the most valuable objects in human existence just because of that reason alone. Now, do you think do you think that has to do also with the English language because it's overused? Everywhere? Yeah, for sure. What? Because like in Greek, like you don't you can't like uh, play around. Uh, a meaning of a word because like a word is like a part of like two or three more words that is rooted like it's like mathematical the word is like mathematical so you cannot like say a word and mean something else it changes its meaning it's it's more difficult yeah I, th I think greek is actually greek is an excellent example just because it has an immediate change of philological and etymological history that exactly up with it really well yeah yeah, where, whereas English, specifically being the language of advanced capitalism and Americanism, as capitalism was developing into what it was, that we started to not only get all of these different words, but we also need to appreciate the development of language since the early 20th century and how specifically development of propaganda explicitly wanted to manipulate those words in such a way in order to get what it wants. Yeah. which is you know a product now that we're very far downstream of where like advertising advertising now isn't like hey like i have a log and like you need to make a fire so like you should use this log because you can light it on fire and that's like a great thing it's more of like all of these fucking lies that are rolled into such a way of like how can we sell the absolute maximum number of these things to the most people possible even if they don't need it uh and to me like this is actually produced this extremely latent nihilism in culture today where you have a lot of people that don't actually believe in truth or that there's anything really of meaning or value beyond just the the rawness of that money and what that is. And uh, it's extremely troubling because now when individuals like politicians come out and make promises and stuff, nobody believes really anything they say. And even if they are caught directly in line, as excuses are made for them in such a way is that it's always kind of okay and I think it's really troubling because, like, if somebody takes a commitment or a promise or an oath to something, there is literally no function that exists in language today in any form 
to make that accountability function. And that's, again, one of the really important things about Bitcoin is that in order for, you know, essentially you got to put your money where your mouth is literally within the transactional semantics that we could call Bitcoin a time chain. It's interesting because lately I've been thinking about how money in itself is a language, you know, like it's a means of communication and you communicate the value or your time, your energy and your work and how much money that you receive that's how that's your energy your life force and then you're also communicating what you value certain products or services by how much of your of your energy and your time that you're willing to spend through your money on whatever you're spending it on and it's interesting that in these in this last you know 100 years or so with with the central bank in the united states how money has been it's also failed failed us and it's and you know mathematically it's failed us at the base layer and it's interesting that it's kind of happening at the same time that as language is ramping up in like there's no real truth at the base layer of language it that like the truth is really failing at the same time in money and it's coinciding and i wonder if that has something like if the if the money failing has just kind of seeped in into the language feeling at the same time. I think so, because one of the things that is like, as you're saying at the bottom, like there is this fundamental accounting error that like all central banking and fiat money has to engage in that. Like it is a fundamental lie that is a violation of actual accounting principles, but we need all this manipulation and contortion and, and uh, like bunk reasoning in order to make it work. And when you consider like, this truly is what we call value in the world. You know, money is the object that we value and utilize to purchase all the services and things that we need in order to, you know, make life operable. But the fact is, is that a, a very small group of extremely wealthy individuals get to make the decision of how that money is created, distributed, and changed. Uh, you know, like that fucks with people's lives in a very direct way. You know, like what what do you tell the Russian people who today, you know, like they, they literally, anybody who had a savings account lost half of its purchasing power in the matter of a day. Like, how can you come to reasoning and say like, yeah, like there, there is truth, there is value, there is reason to these things when you can be violated in such a core methodology immediately. Uh, you know, like I, I think it creates a very deep nihilism, particularly when people have been told, Oh, you know, like money in the bank it, it's safe and sound you know and like it turns out it's all just a bullshit lie and it and it's very disturbing because i think for a lot of people it's uh like it's an extreme black pill that they take where they go well like what's even the fucking point like if i can save money and people can just steal it from me and yeah it's deeply disturbing and frankly this is the reason that i think bitcoin's messianic it's because of the way that it opens humanity up to a path that was absolutely inaccessible before and it's only through this non-state money that through essentially the dictatorship of Satoshi and his declaration that there will be only 21 million no matter what, and the way that he steadfastly refused to ever spend a single coin there, it de delivers humanity over to a new possibility that was absolutely unachievable and impossible before the production of that. And furthermore, as we've seen with every single other shit coin that's came into production, Nobody has the actual willpower or capacity 
to resist the ability that of essentially having Midas touch to create money out of fiction, which is, you know, essentially Ethereum's problem along with pretty much every other shit coin. All right, so we have a lie at the base layer of money, the lie being that you're creating value from nothing, you know, no real hard work. And either that lie is seeping into language or language is seeping into that monetary structure. Maybe it's some type of synergistic relationship. And then you talk about Bitcoin being a, a messianic piece that can deliver humanity from that lie. And does that have something to do with uh, one of your works you talked about cryptography uh, trying to reduce everything down to a binary yes or no and then cryptography expressing itself that way in money through Bitcoin as kind of like a uh, the hyper innovation the hyper technology or I forget the word you used for it language is failing me at the moment yeah, I think I called it a hyper language. Um, and, and essentially because what like what Bitcoin's time chain fundamentally is and each block that's added to it, you could look at every single TXID as essentially being uh, like its own statement that's like in this gigantic lexicon of uh, like words that the chain can always refer back to. And so this creates a, a panoptic view to where essentially language is now bonded to be able to immediate, immediately see and recognize, is this transaction true? Can I trace it all the way back through the chain of history to its original Coinbase transaction and where it was produced and all the successful true uh, chains that go with that? Or is it false and there, there's something that's been violated here? And it turns out that cryptography is the only thing that we can use to build that language because it's the only thing that was produced as a portion of war and being able to have a communication under duress in such a way to be able to tell truth. Um, and it's extremely important because as we've seen without something like that in the world, essentially we get central banking, fiat money, the production of all of these nihilistic lies that have us conclude at this form of totalitarianism where you know, you'll know, you own nothing and be happy because that's how we've decided the setup is gonna be and how you're going to live. And if you don't like it, you know, you'll either be declared an enemy and destroyed or you know, any number of other things will happen to you know, abuse you, which is what we saw over the last two years with you know, the bullshit that we saw going on. So Bitcoin becomes a forcing function for the truth. And then how does that play out? Well, I think this is one of the reasons why it's messianic, because I think as states come to the terms with the fact that they can't control Bitcoin, they're going to flip out. And that's going to cause for essentially an existential crisis between states and non-state actors who hold Bitcoin. And while I'm very open to the idea that uh, maybe they integrate it directly into state treasuries, maybe people, you know, like what we've seen in El Salvador is, is very reassuring. But uh, as we all know, El Salvador doesn't run or maintain the global monetary order. And as we're seeing the global monetary order start to cascade and fail, more and more people are going to ask themselves, how can I protect my money? How can I know that it's not going to get inflated away? How do I know that they're not going to be able to attack it or steal it or do other things and i think that with bitcoin and the chain that we can see that it's always maintained its ability to you know maintain its 21 million units that each block produces the number of coins that are promised that 
each transaction goes through and isn't censored. It's going to become more and more important just in that censorship resistant, just in the way that the actual blocks get produced, the way that the mining network works. And this all doesn't even include the fact that uh, it's utilizing energy at the very bottom of it in order to create this new sort of global market that anybody can participate within so long as they have some amount of energy that they can commit towards mining in the network. Well, speaking of energy, you can commit to mining in the network. What are your plans for that uh, that sea power, that West Coast sea power? How are you going to tap it? West Coast, uh, you know, like I have a lot of great ideas, but my truth is, is like I'm kind of lazy and slow. And I think that the best that I'm going to do is probably just get my little farm up and running and producing, you know, maybe I'll get some solar power and other stuff going. But, uh, you know, I, I'm just really excited to see how the entire global energy industry is going to transform around Bitcoin and understanding that now we can access all this energy that was once wasted and not harnessed. And like one of the things that excites me the most is, uh, the way that people do solar power right now is essentially their grid type and you sell back however much solar power that, that whatever extra solar power you have, you sell back to the grid at some absolutely ass buck price. And essentially with people being able to mine Bitcoin, utilizing their solar directly, there's now a subjective choice that they get to have of, you know, do I sell money back to the grid or do I mine Bitcoin for myself and hold it? And to me, introducing all of these new market mechanisms into being able to play around with how Bitcoin mining is done is really, really important. And this is going to help create redundancy throughout the network and is going to allow for us to start ramping up our global energy supply. And for me, the ultimate long-term hope is, is that people are going to find the idea of doing nuclear decommission in order to access those nuclear materials to make nuclear power plants that they can bring online to add more power into not just the Bitcoin network, but the global energy network and the energy that we're going to need not only to be successful civilization, but to get ourselves into space and be able to have enough energy and power to do that. In my opinion, this is the only way that we're actually going to be able to create that path through true market mechanisms and not just state force. So decentralized energy pooling, Bitcoiners creating a bunch of value into the future decommissioning nuclear missiles to do this. I like that future. What do, uh, how do I get the nation states to agree to start taking the nukes right, apart? Do right, I... to your, right to your local government. So, <laughs> exactly. Pe petition your local town council to, to open up nuclear processing for you. Um, Send them some I mean, truth be told is... Uh, what was that? We're going to send micro him, send shrooms. Us, I'm down. Yeah, send him some shrooms in that letter, too. <laughs> you know, I think, uh, I think truth be told, the way it's going to happen is just market. It's just going to be market forces producing itself. You know, and like more than anything in the last week, we've seen how extremely vulnerable the monetary network is and how all of these assets can like literally just be a keystroke away from being deleted and who owns it and what and how. And I think it's going to prove more and more that the actual functions that Bitcoin has of not just producing energy, but like having this censorship resistant time chain. Like one of the things that excites me the most that I think we're going to see a new production of with the Lightning Network is something similar to colored coins for asset ownership in various ways in order to make sure that like 
pay the ownership of my house instead of it being reliant on some government to say, yeah, it turns out that he owns the deed of that. It's going to turn out that we're going to need to utilize Bitcoin's time chain in such a way to ensure that that deed can't ever be taken from me except through a voluntary process where I expose my private key and saying, yeah, I don't have the deed to this house anymore. Uh, and frankly, I also think that this is how we start to get a much more higher higher frequency and latency of international trade because no longer are we reliant upon nation states in order to maintain the social contract but we can do it ourselves and it turns out that we don't need to have and i'm sorry if your sponsors are going to be upset about this but it turns out that we don't actually need to use violence in order to accomplish that that we can do it utilizing this you know what in my opinion, what Bitcoin is doing is it's the production of the first new digital social contract that doesn't util it utilizes energy in the place of violence, which in a lot of ways you can actually say that that violence and energy have very deep corollaries and on a philosophical level. So you're saying we're going to have to expose private keys to pr pr not produce, but to uh, prove ownership of something. So in this future, you know. How many times a year am I going to have to expose myself? Uh, well, look, I, I don't really, I, I don't want to comment on what you want to do personally, because it sounds like you might be into that a bit. Um, yeah. With those glasses, yeah. With yeah. those glasses. Yeah. <laughs> What's wrong with my glasses? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, nothing, nothing, nothing. Shave the beard and just keep the stash, Greg. Just the stash? <laughs> I look like my dad if I just keep the stash. I can't, I got to save that for later. No, these these are these are like fills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like they're, they're great. They're great. <laughs> you got those from Quint Nicarus? But I got them at Enhole TS. Is where I got them. Yeah. Nice. But to answer your question, I think what what ends up happening is that the pretty much ownership of everything goes onto Bitcoin's time chain because it's the only thing that's going to have the ability to be censorship resistant in a meaningful way. And I think what we've seen after this week, it turns out that that's a really meaningful and important thing because pretty much at any point in time, you can find yourself in a class of people that are labeled an enemy of the state and they can strip you of whatever property ownership that you have. Uh, and like, in my opinion, what's going on right now, like this is fucking terrifying. Like if, literally, if you're a Russian person, you can be stripped of whatever stuff that you own right now. You know, and then... They're like, oh, great. Well, you know, we'll just all sail our yachts to the Maldives, which is an independent sovereign state. And, you know, they're not going to get us there. Turns out, no, we don't give a shit about international law anymore. And we're just going to seize your property wherever the fuck we can get our hands on. And that's really scary because that is the disposal of, of the fundamental social contract, you know? Like the reason that we allow for ourselves to give up a meaningful amount of sovereignty to the state is that they're supposed to be able to maintain these most basic of social contracts which is the freedom to own shit and not have it willy-nilly stolen from you. But it turns out that, you know, fuck due process and jurisprudence when we can just steal shit from people that we don't like. And it's terrifying. Yeah, it makes me think, you know, what what's going to make you just your average citizen living in the West or the United States think that, because even after what happened in Canada and what's happening in Russia to just regular citizens right now, most people still don't think twice about keeping their money in a bank. They have no idea that their money is an IOU in the bank, that their bank account can be shut off at, at a moment's notice. And they think it'll just never happen to them. Just kind of like with the feeling of inflation, they think, oh, well, you know, 
Argentine-like inflation can never happen here in the United States or what's going on in Russia, that can never happen here in the United States. Like how, do, how do you open or how do we open the minds of people up to recognize that if it can happen in Canada or in Russia or it can happen, it can happen anywhere because it is happening in certain places in the world and it can happen, uh, it can happen to any one of us. I mean, in all honesty, the sad truth is, is, is I don't think you can convince people of that because, you yeah. know, like we'll flash back to Berlin, 1936, you know, we go to our Jew friends and we go, hey, like you guys should really get the fuck out of here. Like they're going to kill all you guys pretty soon. And they're going to no, yeah. like they they wouldn't do that. Like, what's even the point of that? That doesn't make any sense. And like, to me, this is the most important part is like, look, like it has nothing to do with making sense. And like, that's one of the most important things is that like people do evil shit, not because it makes sense, but because they're just doing what they're told. And when they start to think about, oh, is this thing evil? They go, whoa, 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 hang on. No, no, no. We no need to think about that. We're just going to do what we're told, follow the rules. That's the right thing to do. And you're like, well, hang on. Aren't you just shipping a bunch of Jews off to where they're all going to fucking die? He goes, look, man, like I'm just doing my job. Okay. Like I, I don't know where they're going. And even if they are all going to get burned alive after this, I don't see how I'm responsible. Like they, this is how a lot of people think like Jerome Powell isn't like at home, like, and stop and being like, whoa, wait a is me just like printing out money for the government and, and the military? Like, is this is this evil? No, like the motherfuckers never thought no. about it in his life. Are, are we are we the yeah. bad guys? <laughs> are we the baddies? Are we the baddies? You know, I'm like a, a a great example for me is uh like when we're at Coinbase, we used to have these really great and interesting conversations where like the founders of startups would come in and like talk about their startup. And there was the founder of an AI startup who came in, and he had, uh, Elon Musk had backed him, and he was kind of talking about his product and. Anyways, my team was full of all kind of paranoid anarchists and stuff. And so one of the guys was like, hey, like, don't you have any, like, don't you think it's problematic that, like, maybe you're working on stuff that, like, you don't fully understand and maybe it could get out of control and, like, maybe this thing could go rogue and, like, you know, kill all humanity? And I shit you not, he was like, you know, I've, I've like, never really thought about that. <laughs> and that's when I was like, like oh, shit. Like, this, this is really <laughs> And honest to God, like, I think the vast majority of people that are involved with the Fed and the government in various levels, at no point in time does it ever occur to them to say, hey, are we the baddies? No. You know, like that, it, it can't be welcomed because that introduces way too much problems in terms of the, the cognitive dissonance that they already maintain. And if they have to look at that hard, that brings up some really alarming stuff that a lot of people don't want to deal with. Um what you know, and, and in the conversations, compartmentalization. What's the word? Compartment. Ah, damn it. Compartmentalization. Yeah, co that compart is it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Noted. <laughs> and, and, uh, <laughs> let me check that. How come you don't um, work at Coinbase you know, so anymore? Like, because they, well, a number <laughs> of reasons, but essentially when they decided to go full shitcoin, I was like, I'm out. Uh, I mean, like that thing was a clusterfuck from top to bottom to the start. Not to say I work with very smart people. I appreciated the experience, but uh, when it became pretty clear that we were making that pivot, I was out. And not just because like I was, you know, I think we all go through our shitcoin arc and are curious about it at times. Uh, but for me, the biggest part of the pivot was uh, I was just uninterested in how much 
of an absolute clusterfuck and a disservice to all of our customers it was going to be because of my entire experience at Coinbase was trying to advocate for our customers and just getting fucked every mm -hmm. single time that I tried to do that. And then eventually at the end, you know, like I was dealing exclusively pretty much with these million dollar bugs and issues with that. You know, it was it was really painful that I'd go to the team and be like, all right, you guys got to correct this one thing. That's all I need from engineering. And they're like, yeah, but, you know, none how, of our KPIs are aligned with that. So, how er sorry, we just won't fix it. How early days are we talking? Are we talking about the days that you guys used to, like, mine Bitcoin inside the office? And, like, how, how early days were you there? I mean, I was always part of the remote team, so I joined in late 2013 as a contractor. They kept me on a contract for 18 months illegally at that. Uh, you know, like I had my first son, and they didn't even give me any any time off to, you know, be with my, my kid and my wife after they were fucking born. And then finally they were like, oh, maybe we shouldn't, like, absolutely fuck support. So they brought us in as employees, I think, in, like, early 2015 or something. Um Okay. You know, another like question. Said, was... Don't don't if you if you don't have to answer it, don't don't do it. Just like uh but I'm I am curious. 2016-2017, flash crash of ETH from like a couple of dollars, ninety-six dollars, I think, to cents. Like was that a bug or no? Oh Cough twice. It was a fat finger. <laughs> Come on, man. It was a fat finger. From inside the office. I hope I can say. Uh, as far as I know, it was a client that did a, it, it was a client who was part of the ICO, had a huge bag, and he didn't understand what he was doing and came in and fat fingered on the market, oh. liquidated the entire fucking market that we had. Oh, and I remember. Despite the I fact that this that. shit had happened before, <laughs> we didn't have any. Uh, like I'm trying to think of what the word is. Uh, I, Plus I'm protection to, team. Like essentially, yeah, we didn't have a like a essentially a kill switch on the market if it dropped more than like 20% or something. And I'm pretty sure after that they were like, oh yeah, like turns out we should totally do that. Um, <laughs> is that what happens we, now? We lost a massive amount of money during. It. Is that why Coinbase goes down no, now what, in these big moves? No, it's because the, the product is so complicated and that there's so many dependencies that nobody knows what the fuck is going on. So mm. then one thing goes down and drags the entire <laughs> oh, fucking exchange down. Fuck. <laughs> Again, yeah, I, as far as I understand it. Um, I remember. You know, I, I haven't been there since October of 2017, so who really knows what's going on? But, uh, yeah, you know, it, it's, it, it's a bummer that... Uh, that you know the company decided that they were going to pivot to shitcoining and that that led the entire market into all this insane bullshit uh you know not to say that like maybe there could be value here but like i'm not fucking interested in any of that i'm interested in freeing people from the tyranny that is fiat money true if we can go back a little bit to the bitcoin and energy uh narratives um it's not like a narrative, it's like becoming a reality now, like this hybrid uh, thing uh, growing between Bitcoin and energy companies, um, treating it like uh, a way to stabilize the network and so so on. Like, But do you think like in the future where we're near hybrid Bitcoinization or we haven't reached it, but we're near, I guess, like 
that symbiotic uh, relationship can become parasitic, like Bitcoin becomes so valuable that we're going to be mining Bitcoin in, instead of like running our fridges or something like that. Like, can we get there? Uh, you know, like I, I, I'm of the opinion that like the market mechanisms are, are going to play out just as they need to, you know? So like if people are choosing to like, if they're subjectively choosing to like mine Bitcoin instead of like run their refrigerator, maybe it's because like they, you know, they can buy all their food at the market and it turns out the amount of energy that they're spending from their refrigerator doesn't equate to the amount that they want to use for that. Uh, like I feel very confident that the actual market mechanisms at play will create for a virtuous cycle where, you know, we're both going to get greater energy production. We're going to get more energy dependency. That's going to give us more base load, which is going to allow for us to go to more renewables. And uh, Fred Thiel has a really great thing that, that he states about kind of how he sees uh, this virtuous cycle playing out with energy. And I think it's really, really important and very similar to how almost every single narrative in, in Bitcoin starts, which again is kind of part of the, the funny thing of, of how language is so fucked up. It's almost every single thing that's brought up as like a problem with Bitcoin, it turns out that like it's beneficial to Bitcoin and energy is one of them. Because everybody's like, well, you know, Bitcoin's wasting energy, but it turns out that it's actually using stranded energy and energy that wasn't being utilized correctly before. And that, you know, for example, the largest hydroelectric dam in the United States, which was in upstate New York, they were going to shut down because they weren't profitable. And then it turned out that they could actually integrate Bitcoin mining in such a way that they became profitable and that they didn't have to shut it down. Like that's a really important development. And in my mind, this is part of the engagement of creative destruction that Bitcoin does is that like it doesn't just want to make energy markets better. Like it fundamentally wants to destroy how we understand energy markets and recreate them in a new image where Bitcoin is a central component of how energy companies understand the production of energy. Um, so I feel very confident that moving into the future that this is going to be a positive sum development for everyone. Uh, you know, but I'm just some crazy guy on the internet. You know, yeah, I think the best thing is what I really say. One of the best things that happened or coolest things was I think it was like the WEF predicted in like 2017 that by the end of 2020, Bitcoin would use more than more energy than the world uses or that the world used back in 2017. And then it, like Bitcoin's using less than a tenth of a percent of the energy that the world produces currently, you know, and so it's like it's funny to watch those predictions, how they just played out so wrong. And Bitcoiners are saying it the whole time. And then when they do play out wrong, then they just go, oh, well, we, you know, who, who cares? Like, but it's, you're still using too much energy, you know, and they don't actually look into like the roots of the issue or the roots of, of what's actually happening. We actually also dropped 1% in hash rate today. We dropped 1% in house rate today. So I just want to say, uh, uh, my bad, I tripped in a cable. So mm. sorry, guys. Uh, by tomorrow, it's going to be up again. Okay. So don't worry. All right. All right. Good. Nice. I'm, I'm happy to hear that. Uh, but I mean, like, it's interesting that you bring up that WF point, because like, to me, this again is part of the, the way that language is failing, is that people have invested into these authoritarian institutions that tell them things are obvious lies and they get to change their their truth and what they tell is the truth continually and mm -hmm. people keep taking them at face value and to me like one of the greatest signals uh you know like bitcoin price scopes is great but 
I, I think Bitcoiners are way more valuable because of the amount of signal that they put out there. And that like, these are people that are constantly trying to be in pursuit of the truth in a very rigorous way. Um, and I really appreciate what they bring to the table because repeatedly there have been places that I thought uh, I had differences of opinion that because these people were shouting at the top of their lungs to pay attention, I looked deeper into it. And I was like, oh, you know what? They're, they're, they're pretty right about this, you know? And uh, that's a very, very powerful mechanism. Uh, and in other podcasts like I do with John Vallis and stuff, we reflect a lot on how, how and why is it that interacting with Bitcoin influences us in this way that we want to pursue truth more deeply. And I think a very large reason is, is because getting to interact with something that's not lying to us and is telling us the truth has us be able to anchor ourselves back to something and go, oh, wait, like truth does have meaning in this world. And it is something that we can explore and we, we can allow for ourselves to use that as a guiding light, despite all the fucking lies and bullshit that we're told almost constant. What are some of the big lies right now? The government cares about you. Your face. <laughs> My face. You know, uh, that like this war in Ukraine is, is good. Like all war is fucking bad. Yeah. You know, um, Sucks. that people with two X chromosomes can be men and that somebody with an X and a Y chromosome can be a woman, uh, you know, and like, and again, and like, and I want to be very clear, like that isn't to engage in hateful rhetoric or to say that, that these people who identify in different ways shouldn't be able to identify that and be safe and celebrate in society for who they are. It's to point out that when we start augmenting language in this way to just say shit that isn't true, there's very real fucking consequences that come out from it. You know, in the same way that the Fed tells us all the fucking lies that they do. Oh, inflation is temporary. Well, how the fuck are you going to make it temporary when you guys just quadrupled the money supply in an extremely short window? You know, and like, so, uh, you know, I, I'd say the big lies are pretty much anything you're going to get from mainstream media because I like I sincerely believe they don't see that they have any obligation towards the truth anymore and that it is all part of an agenda of what they need to spin. And it's not because they're evil people out there who are like, ha ha, like, how are we going to lie to people today? I just don't think they even fucking think about it. Like, I don't even think they try to think about it. I think they go, those are the words in the teleprompter. And that's what I'm going to pitch today. Yeah, you have like someone like Jay Powell, right? Who just had the, he just addressed the Congress yesterday for the semi-annual, what a monetary policy thing that they do with the Federal Reserve. And, you know, and in one instance, he's saying that it's that it's like really hard for them to predict what how like high inflation is going to go with the CPI, which, you know, last year they were saying that inflation was transitory, that it wasn't going to go as high. And now it's up way higher than they wanted it to be, which most Bitcoiners were calling that out from, you know, we were calling that out a long time ago. And then, so he says it's, you know, it's really hard to predict it. It's almost impossible to predict what's going to happen. And then in, later on, then he goes, but, you know, we're confident that we're working on inflation and it's going to go down. It's like, but you just said that it was almost impossible to predict, to predict what's going to happen with inflation. So it's like, he's, it's like, well, which one is it? You know, you can't tell us both things. And so it's just interesting. Well, and, and, and what's, what's going to happen to Jerome? For the fact that that he made this error that is now punishing hundreds of millions of americans 
he he gets Not another term. He gets another term as chairman of the Fed is what is what happens. Exactly. Well, and so like not yeah. only is there not even accountability, but the accountability is so misaligned that it turns out the truth isn't your guiding light at all. Like you actually need to be a liar and a sycophant in this world if you want to be successful. And that and again, this is one of the major problems is that like if you're somebody that's actually truth oriented, you're not valuable in any of these places, whether it's in journalism or in politics or in government or in corporations. It's about do you get online and on board with whatever the authoritarian decree is? Yeah, you, uh, and yeah. it's deeply alarming because we just we don't even find any form of truth to anchor ourselves to, which we can all descend into. If you don't if you're not saying what's in the Overton window because you're searching for truth. You're, you have a high likelihood of being called a conspiracy theorist just because you're searching for truth. Not necessarily that you actually are saying one thing or you're implying one thing. If you're asking questions that are outside of the Overton window, then you have a very high likelihood of being labeled as a conspiracy theorist in today's world. Absolutely. And one of the problems is that we're so deep into this that anybody that would question things like they were extricated, you know, decades ago. And mm -hmm. so everybody that's playing the game now knows that this is how the game is played, is that there are hard truths that nobody can ever state, because yeah. if they do, they'll get kicked out. And like, look at how COVID played out and simply people saying, hey, are these vaccines safe? They were fucking canceled. They had their careers destroyed. And they and, and to be very clear, they weren't saying these are dangerous. They were asking, are they safe? You know, and like, this is very fucking disturbing to think that we had a government just sponsor a program and push all this stuff out. And when anybody asked any questions about it, they got fucking canceled. And yeah. not only did they get canceled, but people who said, not only am I not going to question you, but I'm going to promote this stuff openly and call it science when it's anything but science, they were celebrated. And where are we at today? Well, it turns out they admit that maybe this did actually leak from a lab and maybe the vaccines are more harmful than we thought. And maybe all the shit that people were being labeled as conspiracy theorists in the beginning, you know, the conspiracy theorists haven't been recovered, the conspiracy theorists, you know, and meanwhile, all the people that pushed the shit you know, they're not being held accountable in any way. And again, this is why Bitcoin is so important is because it has accountability. That's why being able to, you know, just be able to run a command that allows for us to see what the supply is, is so important is because we have a viewpoint into its accountability, unlike anything else in this world. And I think it also, and I think what makes Bitcoin truthful too, is the fact that at the base layer, it can't be censored. And so when you know if you think about language now right if anyone tried to question the narrative and and if they were actually honest questions they were censored and so so how can you have truth if you if you're only if you can only say one thing if you can't bring in another viewpoint which normally in most topics there's not just two different viewpoints which they, which is what's thought about today is that there's two viewpoints but there's you know, a lot of different viewpoints. And so if you tried to bring in, in a different viewpoint, uh, you were censored. And so how can truth exist in something, in a language where you're censored for, for searching for the truth? I think that's what's great about Bitcoin is that you can't censor Bitcoin. And that's another reason why it, it leads to the truth.
Yeah, and like as we, we were talking at the beginning about 1984, it's really important that George Orwell points out that like the entire point of the new language of Newspeak in 1984, it wasn't just to censor people. It was to make the ability to question fundamentally impossible that you couldn't even assemble the forms of thought to be able to make those questions. Mm -hmm. And I think we're seeing this come up continually, you know, like right now, there's just all the dialogue about how evil Russia is and how Putin's a bad guy and how we have to do everything to stop him. And there is absolutely no fucking dialogue of, well, hey, guys, was it the fact that we violated the original protocols of the treaty of expanding NATO when we said we wouldn't was was that part of a problem you know like and if you even try to produce these things that they, they you know again it's like uh oh we better cancel this guy he's saying shit that we don't like mm -hmm. um you know and i and what i think is really interesting is like you know this goes back 500 years all the way back to original political theory where where thomas hobbes says look like what the power of the sovereign equates to is it's about authority over truth. Truth has nothing to do with this. It has to do with the authoritarian decree of the sovereign and what he says that is what is legitimate. Whereas Bitcoin inverts that same sovereign function where it says, actually, we're going to say legitimacy is truth first over those sort of authoritarian decrees. And, and in this world, that almost inverts everything in an extremely powerful way, which is why, in my opinion, things are so contentious at this point and why Bitcoiners seem to be the only class of people that are consistently speaking truth. And, and, and it's something that you just haven't ever seen before. It's never existed in the world before. I think that's what why it's so hard for people to understand what Bitcoin is, because when you try to explain it, you can't you, you can't relate it to anything else that's ever existed. And I think that, and so then they try to relate it to a stock, you know, and it's like, this is totally different than some stock because they watch the price go up and down in dollar terms or whatever their government currency is. And I think because it's so different than anything else that we've ever seen before and how it really does, it really liberates the person. And we've never had that. You've always had some type of government or, or some type of authoritarianism over the individual. And this is totally just flipping that whole idea that we've had since the beginning of time, since humans have existed, which is very, which is just crazy to think about. Yeah, you know, and for me, the reflections on that are, you know, what has me believe it truly is messianic because like this is an opening for humanity that's never happened before. It's doing it nonviolently. It's organizing people in a peaceful methodology. And it allows for us to extricate ourselves from all of this insane fucked up stuff. Uh, and it's really important to me that people understand, you know, that this isn't like anything we've encountered before. And furthermore, like uh, all these comparisons always fail. And one of the reasons it fails is because most of us not only have no idea what money is, but we don't understand value or wealth or the differences between these things, how they're produced, why they function that way. Uh, and so, like, as people start to try to question things and they come up against it, it's really hard. And the only way that you can actually really figure it out is through deep methodological research that essentially is what we call the rabbit hole and going down it and allowing for yourself to have your viewpoints change because you're starting to integrate all of these new facts and information that you never knew before and never thought you needed to know. Exactly, exactly. This is... 
I mean, we could go on for hours. I'm not sure Ooh. if uh, RD's got a question to ask. Oh no, you're on fire. Ooh. All right, so Eric, you've been uh, you've been very generous with your time. We're, we're coming up on the hour, and I don't want to uh, go too far along before we get to RD's question, which is usually the most important of the night. Um, whenever you're ready, man. Oh my God, here we go. Yeah, I've I've actually got another question I wanted to ask Eric. If that's all right, first. Um, Gasp. <laughs> um, Wizard of Oz in the chat is new to Bitcoin, like literally today, just start again down the rabbit hole. Oh, wow. And like what I, I just want to like ask Eric, what would you say to someone who's literally just about to go down the, the Bitcoin rabbit hole? Run. You know, yeah, Run. Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, which world do you want? Do you want, do you want the one that you've been living in or do you want the one that we seem to be talking about? Yeah. Red pill, blue pill. And look, either, you know, you can take, you can drop out of that chat, return to your normal life. And that's what it'll be. Or you can take the orange pill and follow each one of these questions as far as you can and follow each one of the new questions as far as you can and see what it produces. And to be clear, you know, like we're, we're not offering anything other than the truth, you know, and you can choose for yourself. So, uh, you know, that, that's what I'd say. Even, um, even, even truth about you. yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Truth about yourself. Hard truths. Yeah. You know, and, uh, I think that component of the truth about yourself is the most important because, yeah. uh, like not only what if not only you can make a little bit of money off of Bitcoin, but what if you can make more money than you ever thought you could off of Bitcoin? What if, what if Bitcoin can protect your savings and your wealth in a way that you never even imagined was possible? Like what if everything that you know about money in the world is pretty far from the truth? And what if the truth can actually produce something for you that is much, much more powerful than you believe it could be? Uh, and to me, like, this is one of the ontological things about Bitcoin that's so important is that through us exploring all of these questions and asking them, we learn new things about who we are because yeah, exactly. of the way that we have to reflect on those and consider them. It's, uh, it's ironic, like, uh, as long as you're being in the rabbit hole, like, uh, your, person, your person power, like, rises and you make a little bit of money, as we say, but, like, as you go you figure out more and more that, oh, I need less and less of that thing. Like, I don't need that much. <laughs> it's like, so that that uh, duality, it's weird, man. I liked your second answer better than your first answer. Thank you. You're welcome. I wasn't talking to you, Eric. Um, oh. Oh. <laughs> RD, second question, hit us. Okay, Eric. Thanks for coming on, man. And I am a bit of a fanboy when it comes to uh, Eric Kaysen's cypherpunk. Thank you. I <laughs> I always appreciate your your retweets and, and comments. It's great. So thank you for saying that. So um, this is the important question: If the meme factory did exist, and we all know it doesn't, who would you like? Who would you retweet? And who would you mute? Uh, you, you know, be, because it, it's mematic, 
like I have zero attention whatsoever to the producers of the memes because you know because it's a meme it it, it self perpetuates itself. Um, you know, with that being said, you, you guys all produce fantastic meme content, and I and I actually think in the way that language is failing to me like memes are the uh the band it's like the poetry of the internet you know like it's it's these profound statements that are made utilizing this method and mode that can't communicate things otherwise uh and i think it's really beautiful and brilliant and funny um so yeah i i unfortunately i can't answer your question just because to, to to me the the art itself speaks so loudly that the artist is lost in its production, you know, and that there's actually, that's actually a really important thing about the production of Bitcoin as well with, you know, who is Toshi Nakamoto? Well, he's the person who made Bitcoin and that's the only thing we know about him. The only importance that it has is for the truth that is Bitcoin in the same way that a meme producer, if they deliver their truth so meaningfully, it perpetuates itself out in a viral methodology. I'm uh, humble enough to take this as a win and thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And uh, Eric, is there anything uh, while you have the opportunity to ask anybody in the, uh, the meme factory here? Do you have any questions for any of us? <laughs> yeah. Like what's your guys' goal with the show? And, like, where do you guys want to see? Is it just to have fun? Is it just to hang out? Is it- Bitcoiners, like where, where, what would you like to see the meme factory doing in 2023? For my part, I'm selfish. I just, I invite people on that I feel like talking to. It's, this is, this is the way I can get people that I'm interested in talking to, to come on, right? And have a conversation with me that otherwise that they wouldn't. Mm, Good question. Maybe we'll get off test streams. No. Twenty twenty three, we're no more test streams. They're all real streams in twenty twenty three. I don't know. How about you, Sean? Why do we do this? I don't know because we're just hang- we we hang out and we talk every day on in the chat that doesn't exist, and then we're like, hey, why don't we bring someone cool who wants to talk about Bitcoin, and then we just do it together, and it's fun, and we have. As I look at it, like we have some of the smartest people in the world that we just constantly are talking to. It's awesome. So, yeah, personally, I would say we started it like that because we used to do like a voice call in Telegram and we just joke around. And that's how it started. Basically, we we basically said, like, why don't we stream this? Like, it's funny. (laughs) It's funny. We make each other laugh. I think the plebs would like it. So we started like that. But. When it's public, I always think of the noobs, whatever yeah. I do, like the memes, the tweets, whatever I do, I, I think of the newbies. So it has become a little bit educational, I guess. So it's good. It's both. Yeah, I think that's also definitely something too, is like just the more, I think the more signal we can put out in the world, the better, especially on platforms like YouTube and whatever, any podcast, just things where people can go deep like this is a good podcast for people who are listening, who like know a little bit about Bitcoin and they want to go deeper because I think a lot of times we, we do go pretty deep and sometimes we don't even mention Bitcoin for a long time and we kind of bring it back. And, and so, we also, we're also different from other, I think we're also different from the other podcasts. Like you can see guys like Sailor and 
Jack Mallers and I don't know so-called big names like relax and like share something that they wouldn't share otherwise i think that's the main point i don't know the, if we, the 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 sailor ad read i i thought was fucking hysterical so <laughs> i i appreciate that you guys are doing that you know craig craig is a master i think it's kind of interesting is you know isn't it wild that you get to do something that you think is fun and funny and that you enjoy but more importantly other people get to witness that and they get value out of it value that you didn't even know you were telegraphing to them and maybe because of what you guys have produced here you know that maybe somebody from ukraine actually learned about bitcoin and was exposed to it from your show well before all this shit happened and they were able to actually get out in a meaningful well, fucking you know, awesome. I, yeah i would hope so you know, and I, I think it's really weird and interesting that somehow through us pursuing this as well, not only does it speak us to produce value out into the world in a meaningful way, but the way that that telegraphs to other people and that it gives value to them. And that, again, with this pursuit of truth, the way that that has us find something of greater value to us than just, you know, the monetary means. It's, it's pretty fascinating. Here, right, here. I think we're still waiting on an answer out of RD, though. Why do you do it, Artie? Why do you sit here on mute? <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> We're going to cop out here. It's pretty much a combination of what everyone's just said. <laughs> yeah, it's like... It's just... Yeah, just like... Kind of like the same reason for doing the memes, basically. It's like to try and contribute something of value, something that might help someone somewhere along the way basically so yeah you know and i'd point out that that these are pretty noble causes and you you know like my my truth is is that again this is why it's messianic is because of the way it has this very personal affect of reasoning in a way that we would have maybe never discovered or explored before bitcoin in a way that that's extremely important to us as individuals and how it actually changes the way that we interact with the world. And I think it's a really beautiful and profound thing for us to be able to, you know, through through memes and all the different ways to actually communicate and contribute in these ways, because at the end of the day, what we're doing is a noble pursuit. We're telling people, look, there is a, a money out here in the world that can't be debased, de inflated, stolen and confiscated and that you can have that to meaningfully protect yourself and like how wonderful it is that we get to have this as part of our lives continually so great job in producing the show and, and keep putting your content out there and whenever you have moments that maybe you question yourself uh lean, lean into that part of where you go oh yeah other people get value out of this in a really meaningful way that maybe i don't see so i gotta carry on with my mission all right i like that thank you yeah that's cool. thanks eric and tell everybody uh in the chat and watching live or watching later where they can find you you can find my website it's cryptosovereignty.org don't let uh don't let the prefix of that title there mislead you it's really about how and the reason why it's called crypto sovereignty not bitcoin sovereignty is cryptography at the end of the day is what allows us the ability to have sovereignty and Bitcoin is the very first social contract that utilizes that function. So 
if you want to uh, dive deep on some of the crazy shit that I write about, please feel free to uh, read up on my website there. And I'm always open to comments on, uh, you can find me on Twitter. It's just my name, Eric Kaysen. And uh, DMs are open, so always feel free to throw out whatever interesting thoughts you have. I'm always open. You can find that all in the show notes. And uh, I almost forgot, Sean has an invitation for you. Yes. Bitcoin 2024 having. You're invited. We're doing a little meme factory party for the for the having in 2024. We're always trying to, you were talking about 2023. We're just a year ahead of you. So <laughs> you're invited and uh, bring whoever you want to bring. And uh, it's going to be a blast. We don't know if we're doing it physically yet or online so it just depends on on how all these rules go down with maybe uh, both maybe both that's maybe that yeah man be... let's make it let's make it meat space we got to do meat space i i like that a lot better personally so um but yes definitely invited and uh, get ready for the having in 2024 because it's going to be pretty crazy What's that blog? We know the, the blog block height eight hundred and forty thousand. okay <laughs> All right. Labra isn't, Labra nice. isn't here, so I, I gotta do the. I think I saw him in the chat. He's here. All right, everybody. And uh, you are you guys gonna be in Miami? I will. Great. I'll try. I'll try. I'm in. I'm in Europe. I won't be able to to make it. You gonna be there, Eric? Me. Eric. Is Eric? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm over here on mine. So are you gonna be I there? Like you're pointing to Sean. <laughs> but yes, I am going to be there. So I look forward to meeting you in Meet Space. Excellent. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next week. Good night. Yeah.